Say, Roger, if you can hear me when you meet me out, I can't do the show. <laughs> I'll call back in. Call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. Seven zero two five two. I tried to call Chris back and he didn't pick up. Okay, Paul, are you there? We got a uh, hello. Good morning. It's uh, February the what is it sixth? Starting off with a little confusion. Sorry for it. Paul is with us. I think Chris is there. Popped off trying to get him back on. It's a Wednesday. Hey, Paul, can you hear me? I can I can hear you. Yes, Chris Chris ran away. He said I'm off. Disappeared. No, I think he said he was gonna he was gonna reconnect back in any millisecond now. So I suspect that that's what's gonna happen. Yeah. He he did, and I tried to call him back and got his answering machine. Let's see if we can bring him back in here. He had something that he's got to run down to the court today and make sure he's not on a docket. Thank you very very much. There he is. Okay. Okay. Yeah, when you put me on hold or uh, mute me out, I can't hear the program live. That's why I called back in, but I'll mute myself out. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Um, well, Paul, I guess let's see you get off on a start here. Tax the rich, feed the poor. Uh, how you doing this Wednesday, my friend? Uh, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm. Uh, what am I? Am I the rich or the poor? I can't sometimes can't work out. I don't know. I get a bit confused here, really. Um no, I'm not the rich. There you go. I'm not the rich. So I must be the poor, right? I think it's tax. Uh, tax. What was that guy came up with the other day? Uh, fleece the poor. You tax the rich, yeah. but you fleece the poor. Uh, and, and you might as well open it up with this story. I stumbled on it, sent it out to a couple of people here this morning. I think I saw it the day before yesterday. Sorry for taking the day off yesterday, but. Did you? I didn't even know. That's outrageous. Is that allowed? I know. You sure? They're pretty seamless, and uh, uh, but uh, I just had to have a day. But got right before the show, and I said, "Hell, I just can't do a show. I got too much other stuff." All right, okay. Threw threw a replay in, and yesterday was like expat lunch day, and I'm in a new spot, and it's going to take a little bit of uh, maneuvering to get over there, and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, I just kind of took a day off, felt like I needed it back today, and um, I uh, stuck a good Brent replay in there, so it's not like they were suffering, you know. Um, they are, they're all, mo- I can hear them all, there's a big sharp intake of breath out there in audio land. <sighs> they're going like this, absolutely. You're a, bit, you're a bit boomy today and echoey, is there a reason for that? Should I, or should I not pry? I don't know. Shane, you got to hang up before I can call you back. Uh, I tell you, Mike, back off your speaker or your microphone just a little bit. It'll probably help you over modulating. How about that? Is that better? Oh, you know what Much. I did? I switched the other day when we got all this call. I was using Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'm you sure. sound funny. You sound as though you're not. I, what are you actually using? We might as well try and get this sorted if we can. What are you actually using? You're using a headset today. Headphones on. I think that'll straighten out a lot of that. 
It'll straighten out a lot, yeah. It will do, I think. See if I can get Shane going in here a second. I, and uh, he wanted to call in and see. Uh, there he is. Okay, I think that's him. And, boy, he's got to jump through some hoops. All right, while we'll get, I'll get in reach my hand over here, guys. I wonder if I can plug them both in at the same time. I bet I can. Shane, are you there? Are you with us? Shane. Okay. No, he's not. Well, he's not. Oh, someone's just arriving now. Yeah, you know, this is. I, I try and discourage these guys from just calling in and listening online for the on the phone line for the show when they could listen in a number of other ways because of situations like this right here. Dogs, I got some dogs that are raising hell, so just bear with me, folks. Ah, uh, James, <laughs> did you ever join us? So there's a dog chewing at your ankles. This is interesting, Roger. It puts got, excitement into the show. Well, now they're not chewing on my ankles at this point. Not yet, they're not. Well, they're outside. I'm inside, so I've got some protection <laughs> and insulation. But they're raising hell at somebody walking along the back of the property there. Let's try this. I think this will work. Let me see. I'm going to switch over. Shane, did you ever join us? He never got with us. Chris, are you still there? If you just pulled into your new heads or your old headset or new headset, it changed dramatically and the volume went down a lot. You yeah, were pretty did. good. Yeah, you were pretty good before you switched because you backed no, off. No, you were that. terrible before you switched. <laughs> your volume was okay, but you were really boomy. There's something, I don't know what it is. You just need to turn this one up if about, you can, Roger. How about this? Can you hear me now? Yeah, now we're there. That's better. Yeah. Well, the volumes are a lot better, too. All right. No, we can hear you now. That's okay. great. All right, man. Oh, boy, it's loud. Hey, switching computers, all this stuff. You know, this is one time, though, Paul, I've had this portable, as you know, for a year. It's the one I bought up in the States last year on that trip. Yep. And when I got back, I haven't used it at all. It's been sitting over there for a whole year. So it, this is one of those opportune times to drag it out, and it was insurance. Yeah. Because we couldn't be doing the oh. show if we were doing it on the other one. Now, let me see. I'm a little bit off. How are our levels out there now, guys? I got a message saying you were still a little bit low, Roger. But um, okay, well, I, did. I don't I, think that was a reference to your mental condition. I think it was the audio volume, I really. Don't, I don't believe it was. And I think this probably straightened things out right there. Yeah, um, you sound good now. Okay. You're sounding good. Okay, maybe we can get the show going now. Well, sorry for all the confusion. Well, I've got to go, I'm afraid. <laughs> Sorry, I just tune in for the audio mess. I think it's the most fun part of the whole thing, really. Well, I don't know what we're going to talk about now. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what, we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for this guy right here. You've got a monopoly on how all this stuff fits together and works. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, as I was saying, tax the rich, tax the poor. Uh, I shot this little uh, story right out before the show started. I stumbled on it night before last. New Jersey, yep. New Jersey has is on the way to passing a tax on the rain. On the rain. The rain. A rain tax yeah. is about to become a reality in New Jersey. 
and it seems that the excuse for the rain tax is the stress on the public utilities as because they have to put a lot of salt on the roads in the winter and the the rain washes it down and it overloads the utilities that they've set up water etc and so they devised a way that if you've got more asphalt or concrete on your property that you get taxed more because the rain runs off more from your property <laughs> right right so strange strange interesting and strange i don't know <laughs> I asphalt's don't... a funny word isn't it you never want to have your asphalt no. as they say that's you okay yeah, you see now. Here's a, even I'm messed up, right? Yep. yep. I have uh, I've got this Skype thing, the new Skype updated. Sorry to bore everybody with audio stuff. <laughs> and my my Skype, this is driving me crazy. Oh God, blimey, shut up! I can't turn the sounds off. It, it's the sounds are all turned off, like I've run it for four years without any sounds. And the new version, no, uh, it wants to keep playing sounds. Into, look at this; it's just outrageous. Go away. So uh, I'm very, very cross about it. Sorry about this. I don't know wow. how to do it because all the switches are off. Even I'm fumbling around like some audio neophyte. It's a dreadful state of affairs. So you turn it off and it still makes a sound. I mean, what are you supposed to do with that? Outrageous. It, it, it has added some confusion and frustration to the new year, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I don't like it. I don't, I don't even know where the sounds are coming in, so... Yeah, what what are you supposed to do when you've turned it off and it still makes a sound? So, um, oh, I love it! Isn't it great? It's just a, it, a challenge. There we go. It's a challenge, man. It's these wonderful challenges that the Lord puts in front of us. And I will say, as I get older, I'm dealing with them a lot better. Um, but boy, if I might offer, yeah, you can offer. Well, since you were talking about electronic harassment uh, being terrorized by extraneous noises. You can't turn off your computer. I've observed a warm and filtrated mind that I'm still able to listen to something on, and it it's like a train whistle. In fact, I've what, dubbed it a terror watch. I put down TWTW terror watch train whistle because it sounds like a Union Pacific uh, Santa Fe chief going down and it comes in on a variator anywhere from like every minute to two minutes to ten minutes uh, it's very difficult to figure out what it is so whenever I'm doing work on the computer I have to just mute it out it doesn't bother me so bad I can't listen to something on it but it is rather innocuous and it's an attack on the psyche it's a form of psychopolitical warfare well okay we're being attacked from a lot of different angles in a lot of different ways. I know that for sure. Uh, believe it or not, we really did want to have a program of some kind of well, substance today. It's pretty difficult when you have to deal with this at the start. But we'll see if we can get the old train back on the track. Uh, Paul and I did. We don't usually have things on the agenda on these Wednesday shows, but we did kind of today have one thing. Uh, two weeks or so ago, I saw one of these little stories, and I sent it to a little blurb of the film over to Paul. I think it's They Shall Never Die. And uh, it, it sparked my interest because I've got a curiosity about these things. And lo and behold, Paul comes back to me the other night and sends me the whole movie of which he you know, I'd send him the trailer on, and he said, try and watch it for Wednesday, and we'll have something to 
talk about. Well, I've been able to watch it, Paul. Uh, Have you? Yeah, I took a couple of settings um, uh, because of net speed and this, that, and the other. But I did get to see it all. And uh, why don't you fill the audience in on this? And Can we put that link up on the show description today? Will that work? Sure, yeah, we can do that afterwards. That shouldn't be a problem. Um, I'm just getting a report through that you're still a little bit low. You're you're very loud in my lug holes, by the way. So I don't know if there's something that you need to adjust for. Are you showing okay on on butt, as it were, on streaming? You seem to be up there, do you? Yeah, it looks like. I guess I could go up a little bit here. Let me try and pay a little more closer attention to that. Well, I keep raising the thing, and it doesn't raise me. That's (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean, it, when I said the slide doesn't raise my level, it doesn't seem like. So, put a little more Viagra in your computer. I wanna, That's a cheap. I want to get all of this technical stuff straight, and I think we're real close to accomplishing that. But we can't do it until for either Friday or at the latest should be Monday. We're going to have 40 megs fiber up and down, and the routers right here in this room. So, I'm, Hurrah! oh, finally, man, you don't know how many years I've dreamed of a situation like that coming into reality, and it's about here. So just bear with us a little bit longer. Um, Paul, you want to tell uh, uh, the folks about this film a little bit and give some background? Because yeah. it's very impressive, okay? Yeah, no, it is. It's, uh... Oh, by the way, I've got now I've got an echo. I've got my voice coming back at me in my head. <laughs> How's that happened? <laughs> oh, I didn't touch a thing except that slide. Oh, boy. Okay, hang on. Uh, it seems to have gone now. That's good. That may have been just a little bit of caching. Okay. Oh, anyway. All right. So, yeah, there's uh, everybody will have heard of, um, I'm assuming, or most people will have seen the films The Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, which were the director of that is a chap called Peter Jackson from New Zealand. And... Um, uh, because of the uh, 100-year anniversary of the end of World War One, he was invited by the, I think it's probably the Imperial War Museum over here, to see if he could make a film, uh, taking some of the old archive footage from that conflict, because it was the first major conflict that was filmed, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of footage. We've probably only seen maybe one hundredth of it. There's lots and lots of footage. And uh, he had a particular interest because his, I think it was his grandfather, his grandfather was, um, I think he was from Wales, was part of the Welsh Fusiliers, which was a regiment that was out there, something like that. I might have got the regiment wrong, but there's definitely a family connection, so he had a great interest in it. Borderers. Yeah, something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he... He, obviously, anybody that's seen the Lord of the Rings films, there's all sorts of technical wizardry that took place in those, which kind of really pushed the envelope. And, and I can't believe, I was thinking today, I mean, they're 17 and 18 years old, those films. <laughs> it's just incredible, really. Uh, and I, I've got a great fondness for them, um, purely because, A, I read the book, and the book was pivotal in my youth growing up. It was just a marvellous sort of three months of disappearing out of the world as I read that. And... Um, um, Obviously, you know, many people, I think I've read it a couple of times. I might read it one more time uh, for this installment of life. And um, it's um, interestingly, of course, Tolkien, the author of that, I'm stitching a few thoughts here together, but Tolkien was in World War One, And 
in in very many ways the the hobbits are actually their characteristic of this sort of jolly pragmatism and decency is based very much on the uh, troops that he had under him. He was an officer, was Tolkien. And this is what... uh, Sam Gamgee kind of sums up the British Tommy in Tolkien's world, I think, anyway, and I'm putting that forward. And and the battle scenes that are in The Lord of the Rings are based on very much what Tolkien saw. Mordor is effectively a psalm. There's no other way to describe it. When you see this film, those that see, they shall not die, or they shall never go... not gold, um, is... um, (laughs) Uh, you can see the connection between the two. It's very, very strong. Anyway, Jackson got in there, and um, he brings a tremendous degree of uh, technical computer wizardry to bear on images, um, as anybody would know. It's been a thing he's always been interested in. Of course, he's fantastic at it to such a degree that now, uh, of course, he's not alone in this, but one barely knows these things. I mean, the, the negative side, of course, of all this CGI stuff is... I would suggest uh, very few of the characters that now occur in most modern films are worth tuppence and you don't care about them at all. And it's just all trite, smart one-liners and sort of guff all the way along. So it's rather shallow fare, I think, from the point of view of uh, addressing issues of the heart and of the higher head. There's not much of that going on at all. But Gorgia is visually spectacular. Anyway, um, he went in and... um, a series of things came together, but in the early 1960s, about 61, I think it was, or 1962, many of those guys that fought in World War One were still alive. I mean, they would have been in their late teens and 20s when they went in. So they were in their 60s uh, by then. And um, they interviewed a lot of them, did the BBC, and created this great archive of these recordings, which have a very high audio quality. Uh, I don't know what they used to record them, probably, you know, state-of-the-art tape recorders back in the early 60s, but they're very high audio quality. And what Jackson's done is he's brought all these voices together from all these disparate regiments and uh, all of them, the men that actually did the fighting, and they provide the voiceover for the entire film. There is no official narrator. This is not some organized narration uh, event. All the narration is pro- is provided by these first-hand testimonies from the guys that actually were there. And they say things, particularly in the early part, which just are, which rewire the way that you view it. They were thrilled to go. They were thrilled to go. They couldn't wait to leave England and go and fight. They were okay with it. Uh, they ended up in hell, and they were still happy about being there. This is, you know, you can't sort of get your brain around it in times. Not all of them. I'm not saying that, you know, they're not saying that this was great and a picnic but by any means. But the first 20 minutes of the film, I think it's about the first 20 minutes, is effectively black and white footage, as we've all seen, with these voiceovers, showing how they came really off of Civvy Street, how they were young. There's some very funny lines. Some very funny lines. What was one guy said? He said, I went in to see the recruiting sergeant, and uh, you had to be... 19 to get in it's something like this you've got to be 19 to to get in so i didn't know this he asked me my age i said i'm i'm 18 years and one month he said oh i think you better go outside and have a birthday (laughs) (laughs) come back what a line absolutely fantastic all right i'll go go outside and have a birthday there's another one where he's talking to a vicar he said i'm 16 or something and the vicar asked me my age i told him i was 16 he said i'll pray for you right because he could see the guy was to get into the whole thing you know so um 
these are very fresh-faced un- but undernourished people. I think I may have mentioned here before. There's a there's a great interview with uh, Montgomery, you know, Lord Montgomery of Alamein from the Second World War, but he was in the First World War too. And uh, there's with him on Canadian TV from the early 1960s. I guess similar period when they were recording all these World One guys actually. And he talks about the fact that um, starvation was the number one recruiting agent into the British Army. People were not being fed properly on Civvy Street. So the idea of getting into the Army and getting fed was really, really appealing. And uh, I think there's a little statement early on that says, on average, all the people, all these young lads that came in, they grew an inch and they all put a stone on him weight after about three months of training. Right. And turned. obviously we're getting them fit, very fit and strong. Because they had to march with about 110 pounds on the back and all this kind of stuff and blah, blah, blah. So this is the first 20 minutes, which kind of closes with them disembarking at the quayside in France. They get onto trains, they get then they're marching and they're on horses and they're going through the countryside, coming up to the front. And then something quite, spect- I think, quite spectacular happens. You've got this footage that we're all familiar with you know jumping around a little bit missed frames uh, slightly speeded up that kind of stuff you're all familiar with that and what happens then about 22 minutes in is that there's a little cluster of them walking towards the front and the film slows down to actual real speed all the detail is amplified colossally and it comes in as full hd color with audio the lot and it's the effect is dazzling it's absolutely amazing and it's as if Someone was running around World War One with an iPhone, shooting it in HD. It's quite something. And it changes, it did for me, it just changed your whole perception of what they were going through because it makes it visually so intense when you're looking at it. And uh, I got lost in the film. I mean, obviously, it's more relevant, I suppose, to me, Roger, it being about British men yes. uh, primarily. Obviously, the Germans are covered as well. And uh, But... Um, it was really intense just to see them. And you see their faces really close up. And there's some, it's harrowing. I mean, there's no, I'm not trying to say that this is a picnic. This is not a joyful thing. But boy, is it intense. And, and I, is it real? And, and what a time machine. What he's done here is quite spectacular. And I saw an interview with him, actually. I was watching it the other day after I'd watched the film. And he was saying that he thought, he said, I could have made the film three or four times longer, easily. He said, we just... He said, how long do you want me to make it? He said, you know, there was so much material that we could use, so much more that would add to it even further. Um, he said, but, you know, we had a time limit. We had to have it ready really for the for November right. uh, 2018. Um, but he also mentioned, he, he said that every single bit of archival footage in the world needs to have this process done to it. And I think he's right because it's, it's breathtaking, actually. It, it, it took my breath away when I saw it, when these, this guy turns to the camera and he's just like a normal 19-year-old today. It, that's, what, that's the impact it got on me, as if that had just happened yesterday because of the intensity and clarity of the images. Okay, you can tell that the, the dress is different, the technology is different. Um, but wow, I, I was knocked out by it. <laughs> it really got me. I would. The trailer knocked me out a couple of weeks ago. I didn't have a dream that I'd be able to sit down and see the film, and I'm, I, I will go back and watch it again. It's not the most pleasant of subjects. Uh, no. And it's right up front on the actual film footage and it, in the colorized section. Some of it's extremely graphic in the pictures and in the verbiage and the descriptions. And yep. it'll give you chills. 
Okay, and I had to turn it off. I, I, you know, the first first time, I just wanted to get away after it turned to color already, and it was getting into that part, and I just away. You know, you can only take so much of that at one setting. Okay. Yes. Or at least I I can't. All right. Um, but I'm fascinated by the whole thing. Uh, I don't believe I saw one good set of teeth in the whole movie. <laughs> No, I think someone wrote in the review that it's not a good advert for British dentistry. <laughs> That's an understatement. The British are known out there for having wonky teeth. You get Sir Cedric Sonso, Lord this, that, and the other, and he opens his mouth, and his teeth are like sort of, you know, tombstones that have come out of zombie land. They're just everywhere. You go, what is that in your mouth? Like, I say, <laughs> you know, but their teeth are all over the place. You can't take your eyes off it. It was a terrible thing. Nobody cared about their bloody teeth. Unbelievable. Yeah, is that quite amazing, really? Yeah. Uh, let me, I uh, guess, got a message. We're discussing a movie that is, where is it? Is it being released in theaters or is it just going around? It is. It states. Yeah, I, I contacted, uh, I was speaking to a good, uh, a good colleague of mine, a guy, you may know him, a guy called uh, Thomas Goodrich, who's the author of Hellstorm, which is about World War II. And I, I sent him information about it to watch it, and I haven't spoken to him since. I'm hoping that he was watching it last night. And um, But he was telling me that it's on in certain theatres still in the States. It was released as a documentary in theatres um, and on TV over here um, and sort of had a worldwide release in many ways. So it's, it is a documentary, but it's uh, it's unlike any documentary. That, I mean, really, it's going to reset the mold for making documentaries oh, by no, taking it, archival it, footage. It will absolutely set the mark from here on out. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, a phenomenal piece of work. And I, should, I don't know quite how many man hours go into doing all this kind of stuff. But, I mean, you just think about, say, the Laurel and Hardy films. What, what, I, I, everybody's seen recolorized film, and it's a bit hit and miss. But this is just like... Wow, where did you get those HD TV cameras from for 1914? Um, That's how it was on me. And the language that they use as well is so English. I mean, it's really understated. There's a line the one guy's saying, there's a big. (laughs) One thing that he says, the Germans, he said, started to dig tunnels and put enormous bombs under the field, which was pretty annoying. (laughs) Annoying! (laughs) It's just fantastic. I'm sorry, I just revel in this. Oh, that's a bit annoying. I mean, that's it's just so English. I mean, I love all that. I I, I can't help it. It's in my blood to talk to want to be that sort of restrained, right? It, there's something sort of charming and mad about the whole thing. But obviously, you know, when it builds up to that battle where they, I mean, that's that's very that's unbelievable. Is that because you know the camera is on all these guys? I think there's what is it? There's I mean, what did the officer say said. 600 of my men went in and only 100 came out alive. Right. And you're looking at them all before they're all getting blown to bits and then it goes, it's just, it's unbelievable really. You know, I was, I was uh, in all, there all so many emotions going on watching them do it and, um, you know, there's a, I think there's a telling comment early on where it said, look, men in those days were told what to do and just did it. You just got on with it and did it. And that was in civilian life. The whole structuring of, of life. And yet, and yet, in spite of all that, from our perspective here, you see a sort of comradeship and a connection that's just phenomenal, really. 
It's an amazing. It's just, it's an amazing movie in in so many ways. I'm going to tell all you patriot folks who've been out there running around in the woods and stuff for all these years. Trench warfare is not the way to live. <laughs> okay. And oh my. You, you get a incredibly involved and up close and personal view of what it must have been like to be back there in those trenches. I mean, it's absolutely startling piece of work, okay, what these guys put yeah. together. They they went into the one of the couple of things that stuck with me. <laughs> typical, typical. I'm, I'm going to do a Freudian slip here. Well, is yeah. when they had to uh, use the bathroom. And what they do is, <laughs> those fo- where did they get those photographs from? I'd never seen that before in my life. Yeah, so unbelievable. They, they got it? a pit dug, and to use the can, they would string up a, a, a pole, a tree limb, or something across, and there's pictures on there. They look like birds sitting on a wire, except their butts <laughs> hanging on these on these pieces of wood. And these pasty white bottoms, all in the. <laughs> In the French sunshine. It's quite a sight, oh, isn't it? You go, whoa, okay. But, Nature could have done a bit better than that. But, but hey-ho, that's what we got. But the guy's you know? telling the story in part of the narration. And he said, one day three guys got on there and one of them was heavy and it broke the thing. And all three of them fell in the, into the pot, into the pit. And they had to, they said, to get them out, they, somebody put their rifle down and they get them out of there. And they said, nobody wanted to even be close to them. But can you imagine that? I mean, man, it just gave me chills. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, there's some of the pictures where it shows you where the uh, they're talking about the smell of death everywhere. There's horses yep. blown to bits everywhere. Oh. In another, uh, like three yards away from dead horses, there's what's left of a man in just, of several men in just pieces. Uh, I mean, the whole thing is just, you know, it's atrocious. And yet, you look at the, they're all smiling at the camera, even through to 1918. Yep. You know, and you're going, wow. <laughs> And maybe that's how you'd react. You go, look, I could be dead any minute now, so I might as well be happy. I, I mean, maybe that's, you know, you just adjust. Obviously, I thought that, you know, some of the descriptions as well, the guy talking about the shelling, the shelling sounds sounded worse because of the psychological terror of it, um, that you would just, you, your nerve would break because of the pounding, the continual pounding. And in the end, you know, the guys are throwing themselves in the ground because they're just, it's that anticipation of being blown to bits that's worse than getting blown to bits, if you know what I mean. I yeah. know that sounds a ridiculous thing no, to no, say. No, no, uh, psychological and, pressure, man, and, and it was 24-7. <laughs> Try mm-hmm. sleeping in a trench up in a cave you've dug on the side of it at night with shelling going on all the time. I guess, you know, we got some Vietnam vets, I'm sure, listening, and they probably... Uh, uh, I'm sure this gives a lot of people cold chills, okay? It's not pleasant subject matter, but the importance of it is that this particular war is the one that set the foundation for everything we're dealing with right now. Correct. It is. And I think, you know, some of the really telling scenes are as when they are capturing Germans, which are quite gentle scenes. They're not scenes of violence. And you look at them, and I'm looking at, all the, the only difference is the uniform, and you get how mad it is. It's just in, it's brothers slaughtering brothers for no damn reason. Well, for somebody else's reason, 
but not theirs. Yeah, Lord Milner. And that's what really strikes you. I mean, that the Germans had, you know, the, there was an English lad who said, oh, I tried to get in at 14, <laughs> and I didn't make it. Anyway, a year went by, so I thought 15, I'd have a better chance, and I got in. He got into the army at 15, and uh, half of the guys fighting in Germany are 15, 16, 17-year-olds. It's on both sides. I've got sons that age. It's just unbelievable to think that that's what could occur to people so young. And uh, you can see when they're capturing the... What was that lovely telling bit where he says, oh, yeah, every time... He said they didn't have to do this, he said, but whenever a man fell or new wounded came in, he said the Germans that we'd already captured would get up and put a stretcher and start yes. carrying them around. He said, yes. They didn't have to do that. But he said... They, and nobody, you could just, and nobody yeah, told them. And nobody told them to do it. Nobody told them. They just did it because that's what we are like as people. We're like that. I mean, you know, the journey, one guy said, an English guy was saying, a Tommy was saying that they captured some and they were fearful. He said, if they put their hands up, we didn't shoot them. We, we knew. <laughs> there was none of this sort of vindictive, let's slaughter everybody. Although, obviously, in that battle, the, the, the bloodlust is up and it goes absolutely berserk, doesn't it? In that. That major part oh, of the film. And that's understandable. Good grief. What are you supposed to do? You know, you're just walking along and somebody next to you is blown to bits. It's, I don't know how you're going to react. I, you know, I don't want to go through that. Because, <laughs> that, because, um, what because can we a, say? a psychopath named Lloyd, Lord Milner got together with mm -hmm. another psychopath named Cecil Rhodes and a couple of their pals, and they fomented this. They did. Yeah, they did. And they were out there, were they? No. They were out there. I always know this. They're not out there, these people. And uh, their sons are here's not your, out there. Here's your Although, rifle. You know, here's here's damn your it, rifle. The town I'm in right now, um, you know, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, the uh, the author of Sherlock Holmes. Well, uh, there's a church here that was paid for by Doyle um, because he lost his son in World War One. And this is what turned him to spiritualism. He became very involved in spiritualism because of that. And uh, there's a little church here, paid for and built by Conan Doyle because of the damage they did. Rudyard Kipling, similarly, he lost his son in World War One. Oh, did he really? So the devast you know, we're not going into that from a... This is looking at your working guy in England who, you know, their life wasn't great in 1914. They got into the war. And for many of them, you can tell it was a thrill of a lifetime. I know it sounds ridiculous. I mean, what was one statement? He said, well, actually, it was all rather fun. I'm paraphrasing from memory. He said something like, it was all rather fun, really. It was a bit like going camping, apart from the dangerous bits every now and again. Just go, what? That, you know, the attitudes. But that was their attitude. You uh -huh. know? The attitudes that, attitude. that shine forth through that narration. And, you know, it's hard. You can hear people smile on audio tracks, and you can hear those emotions. They come through okay. really well. And uh, I'm telling you, it's amazing to me. It, just like Paul was saying, obviously the economy was not doing good because a lot of people were looking for things to do, right? And mm -hmm. uh, and so the guy said, I walked by, we went out to lunch, and I walked by a recruiting office, and there was a 1,000 people in line. Yeah. Okay. And so they jumped in there. They went off. They kept a good attitude. They didn't have any super animus. They had a little, oh, we're going to go get Jerry before it. But when mm. they got over there and they got actually in battle and the, it got to the point where people were surrendering and what, there was no animus. It doesn't come through on any of those people's narration. Okay. No. 
Um, no, it's nothing personal. It was just like a filthy, dirty, useless job. The one guy was just saying, you know, he's talking to the Germans, and, the, and he said, whenever we talked, we all came to the conclusion, what the bloody hell are we doing, really? Yes, so just, right. Why are we at war? Nobody could understand it. Of now, now, the other thing that was struck me at the end, and, of course, I'm, I, I'm a Vietnam-era kid, okay? And yeah. uh, what struck me was they had the exact same syndrome as the Vietnam vets coming back. People didn't want to hear about it. They didn't, and they had all this stress and all this trauma that they've been going through, and these things pin up in them way before they knew what PTSD was. Okay, and they come back, yeah. and the economy has gotten worse, and they can't find jobs on top of coming back and being shunned by everybody in the society. And it was real telling to me. The parallels of that in Vietnam just struck me when it, when they were going over that part of the film. I think, yeah, you you raise a really good point. That that last closing ten minutes when they're looking at the fallout after it being called off were really telling. And I've that aspect is heartbreaking, really. You, and then I was thinking about it in a more calm way uh, because when I was in the film and I felt like I'd fallen into this world for an hour and thirty five minutes. I came out in a daze actually. It's like time just completely stops. And I watched it with my son. I told him I said this is going to be nasty stuff. He said I'm okay, and he was. He was fine. And we watched this, and he. He just said, that was amazing. I said, it really was. Um, in terms of being transported to another place, I got lost. And you felt as though uh, these people were your friends. I did. You know, they're like people that I grew up with. They're just like that. Even today, you know, in rural areas of England, people are like that. They might have longer hair and wear dumb tattoos and everything now. Not all of them, though. But that, that element is still present. It's definitely present. And uh, the fact that they would return and and then be shunned by the civilians or not shunned the civilians didn't have a clue what had taken place and i thought now why did they not have a clue because obviously to a great degree true reporting of what was actually occurring had never occurred there'd never been any honorable honest reporting of the sheer hell it's all jingoistic reporting when you look at it and we'll have a jar of jam and we'll see to it blah 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 all that sort of you know stiff upper lip denying the actual true horror of it all i mean you know traditionally as a people we're not we're not known for indulging in our emotions well one although of the that's guys, changed of course recently with everybody blathering all over the place you know but that's not really what we do um one of the guys and, and that was an extreme one of the guys in the central planning all this one of their buddies the psychopath bastard was a guy named steed who wrote for mm-hmm. a real prestigious stead stead it's pronounced stead just okay. to let you know william t stead W.T. Stead, yes. Who was a very influential journalist for a very influential publication. The publication of publications or something uh, uh, had a strange name, um, a redundant name. But he was right there at the uh, center of all this planning and involvement, and he was obviously the journalistic kingpin. Yeah, he was. He was very much so. And uh, probably like the rest, an ambivalent figure. I mean, it's just... It's the it's what occurs. Well, maybe it doesn't always occur, but certainly it occurred here. Um, there is this sort of a snotty aloofness that that exists within a certain class of so-called privileged people here in this country. It's been building for a long time. You know, the this country wasn't a class-ridden country a thousand years ago, but that evolved and built up. And you know, you could say that the presence of money. And the falling into the capitalistic system amplified these differences and they atrophied and to the point where literally the officer class almost like look as the uh, 
you know, the, the foot soldier as just expendable cannon fodder. That literally yeah. was a phrase. And there definitely is an aspect of that. There again, what comes across in this, uh, really telling was actually their respect for the officers that knocked them into shape, even though they hated their guts. <laughs> Basically, they said they were really, really tough and really nasty, but actually, you've got to give them credit. They knocked us into shape and made us tough well, enough to deal they, with this. They had one of, those, now, one of those drill sergeants. The guy was telling the story, yeah. and they passed a big pot at night and said, <laughs> pee in here. Yeah. And the, they got all the barracks pee and put it in this big pot and rigged it up on the door. When, the, when he walked in in the morning, it emptied all over him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they said, they said there was nearly a gallon of pee in there. That's a lot of fl- what did he call it? He said the fluid. Yeah, I remember. I like. I catch these words. The fluid went all over him. Yeah, <laughs> I bet it. I bet it did. Yes, Bloody they were hell. very refined, and part of these guys later on in life, recalling. Yeah. You can tell some of them are very elderly, uh, yes. and uh, uh, recalling these memories of this yeah. part of their lives and hearing the emotion in their voices. Yeah. Okay. It's a it's a stunning the soundtrack movie. the soundtrack, you know, we could you could almost take the soundtrack and play it on radio. It's that evocative. You but the thing is you've got to see the whole oh. because the when it's combined with those restored high definition images. I mean, there's those bits where they're walking through the trench and one guy turns back and looks at the camera. His face, I'm just it's a really good-looking – some of the faces are fantastic in there. They're really just great-looking blokes, if you know what I mean. They're just like men. And I'm sure they were all there across – and in the Germans as well. And what did he say when they captured He said, oh, well, when we met the Germans, he said uh, they were a bit like us, really. Clarks, barbers, things like that. Yep. Really nice people. <laughs> That's how they were talking about. Really nice people. Said. So they got on well with the um, – they didn't get on well with the Prussians, though. I remember there's a comment in there that they said that the oh, Bavarians yes, and everything Bavarian, got great with. Right. They, could, they could kill Bavarians. Bavarians could kill us quite because of that Saxon connection. But the Prussians were different. And you know the incident, or you, you would be aware of the incident, where I think it was uh, – I think it's right at the very – it's the very first Christmas of the war. I think it's the Christmas at the end of 1914. So um, there is um, – there was an armistice called along a certain section of the front and the german troops and the british yes. troops got out and played football everybody knows about it. there's a film being made about it right and uh, they sat around and played songs and, and and shared jokes and all that kind of stuff what's not so commonly known is that that was just one section of the line and the reason it happened there is that the british and the germans were basically cut with the same branch of the from the same tree the same root people and therefore on a vibrational racial level, they just kind of get one another. Down the line, 300 yards down the line, was a Prussian division, and that never stopped fighting. 300 yards away. They wow. were still fighting whilst they were playing football 300 yards up the road. And that's interesting, isn't it? It shows yes. you the power of these connections that you pick up on these vibes and understandings of people without language or anything. You just get it. The, um, the title for the people that are just coming in that we're talking about is this magnificent new film, um, and it's called They Shall Not Grow Old. And that's right. it's, I'm going to put the link to the full-length film in today's show description on CastBox, 
And mm-hmm. um, for anybody that wants to see it, it is it's well worth spending an hour or whatever it is watching it. it you'll you can hear the effect it's had just on Paul and myself uh, it, it, in this discussion with just one watching, really. Uh, but uh, I I was really stunned by it. I love the history and I that the actuality of this. It you're right in it with the colorization yep. to the degree and the things they've done to bring out those things in the film. It puts you right there. Yeah, it does. You'll never and, see and World War One the same again after it's you've seen not this a, film. It's, it's not just, a Hollywood production with Rambo. No. you're right there. Just yeah. like the BBC photographer, you're right there. Yeah, it's, it's quite a thing. It's quite a thing. And, of course, as you said, you know, the voiceovers, getting the insights from the guys that participated in it and their attitudes is quite a thing. You know, there's a – there's a, I, now, I'd seen the footage in black and white for years. There's a bit where there's a sort of um, – there's a uh, like a platoon, a, a British platoon with horses uh, – racing away over this little and they get hit by a shell you can see it and uh, oh yes yes there's a voiceover talking about how every time a horse died it was the young lads that were looking after the horses that were heartbroken and had to be given a day off uh they, they would say you gotta give him rest because he's lost his horse you know the horses just got absolutely blown to bits as well and this so the whole sort of just nothing but death and blood and guts of every sort of living thing all over the place it's inconceivable today. It's just, uh, it's, and the reason why it appears almost, you know, the nutcase scenario that it is, because it's obviously is, is the, the sheer confinement of it. It's not about armies moving hundreds of miles over several weeks and waging another battle to strategically do this. It's not. It's everybody bogged down for four years in trenches, blowing each other to bits. And the It's f- like... Oof. If you've got a fear of rats... Just close your eyes. Don't watch when it. You get to that part. Uh, yeah. Because some of the actual footage out of there, I, I mean, listen, mm-hmm. it's stunning and startling, and it it should really crystallize all of our views against what these people have done to get where they are. Well, I think the lesson, you know, you're absolutely right. And uh, the lesson for us is that we have to find a way to make sure that this does not continue because it is continuing. Okay, not in that graphic, explosive, destructive way all the time as it did then solidly for four years. But we know it continued with World War Two. We know it did. Um, and the, of course, the, this film is not pretending. It's not even aiming, I should say, not pretending at all. But it's not aiming to cover all the sort of geopolitical background to World War One, which, of course, has been explained falsely to us by the court historians for a long time. Now, obviously, we here and others listening in have been able to gain access to the documents, as it were, written by the losers, and then you get a much clearer view. I mean, obviously, what what the film does not deal with, for example, is that by 1916, Germany had actually won that war. Britain was six weeks away from starvation because the U-boats had managed to literally, you know, create an asphyxiation in the supply lines into Britain with the convoys. That's what happened. And so, you know, you've got Churchill mucking about setting up the Lusitania thing in 1917 or whatever it is to get, as a causative reason to get the Americans in. 
And yet, are we talking about the Americans? I suspect not Americans, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Oh, there were right? some, yeah, right. Yeah, well, not there, Americans. Not no, like there were some in our country that helped and were involved in that, but they're not Americans. That's the difference. No, they're, that, that's right. they're the enemy inside the gates that Cicero talked about, that where you're clearly speak right. your language. And, you know, the whole thing with with the Russians, of course, you know, Okay, so they cleared off in 1917 because, in a way, that was part and parcel of all of this chess game of them setting each other up. But what's actually occurring, what you're seeing on the field, it seems to me, is Western Christian civilizations opening shot at committing suicide. That's what you're seeing. And um, it's been orchestrated. We don't want to commit suicide, but that's kind of what's happening. You can, you just, so I got this feeling looking at it. That, what a waste of all these great people. And then you understand, you know, why we are the way that we are. Let me see if I can degree. coin a new word here. Ethnicocide. Well, <laughs> you just did. I think they call it genocide, don't they, for the gene pool. But, yeah, you're right. That's really it. It's, it's specifically targeted. Um, and uh, it's... Um, and, now, and now that this is where incredible. the other stuff, now that we've seen this from this perspective... It even brings more importance to James Corbett's documentary that he released just recently. It, oh, yes. It, yeah. That adds a lot of the other side to this that isn't covered in the BBC archives. Okay? And now you know the backstory on, on all this stuff. Stead and, and Milner yep. and, and Rhodes and, 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 dare I say, Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover. You might dare say you might dare say Lord Rothschild as well, oh, because well, without him involved in that group, of you've course. got the same thing going on. Now, wait, what so, was his? You know, was, Alfred was that the one was he that wrote on the tor- tortoise? Because some of these pictures were in some of that Corbett stuff I've seen. The picture of him riding on the uh, Galapagos tortoise. I'm sure that's what it was. A, Ga- a Galapagos tortoise. And he's riding, he's a big old fat guy, and he's got lettuce out on a stick in front of the tortoise to make him go. And the guy goes, isn't that a perfect analogy to what they're doing to us now? Yep. Lord, fat, yeah, fat ass Lord Rothschild sitting on a Galapagos tortoise with some lettuce in front of our mouths. And it's, we call them Federal Reserve notes that they're dangling yep. out in front of you. Now, the other picture yep. that it had of this same Rothschild guy, who was a biologist, I think was his, was his general title, um, was they had, uh, he had a, a horse and buggy team that was all zebras. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. He did. He was a big collector of, uh, of, he had a zoo, a private zoo over here. I'm not knocking his zoo. Maybe his zoo was lovely. But, you know, it's not really a zoo that we're too interested in. He belongs in it. Him and his whole bunch belong <laughs> maybe, in it. Maybe, you know, maybe they view that we're in their zoo. You know, that's the kind of mentality they got. <laughs> well, they you know absolutely I mean? do. Come on. Okay, so I'm in, I'm in your zoo with your zebras. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, it's that thing. What's that biblical thing? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it injustice, but you, you understand the line. You'll know it. That in these times, everything that's been hidden will be made known. Yep, yep. And in a way, in the most graphically detailed way, this film is one chapter of that laid crystal clear in front of you in a way that you've no, never seen it before. And I wish they had made it five hours long. I could watch that stuff for days. There's something gets filled in in your soul to me when I watched it. 
And I felt like I was saying I've been in the presence of my mates all the time. Apart from which, some of the uh, there's a there's the East Yorkshire Regiment, and the, and I know when they were putting old Yorkshire accents in because that's what we speak like. You could hear them on the thing. And he was saying Peter Jackson was saying that they got the voice actors to basically they got uh, these lip readers from the police in the guys that do lip reading and sync to actually get the language down and then they got people from the correct regions here in england to voice over depending on what regiment was actually you know the guy whichever regiment it was in and i think early on in the film there's a couple of them walking along through a trench and a guy he's got a spade in his hand he says down here and all that and that's from the east yorkshire regiment and then there was another one i was watching it with my son because he knows i'm always banging on about yorkshire and uh they come up and there's a there was a big shed and they're walking up to this shed and it said East Yorkshire Regiment beer. Massive, <laughs> there you go. Those are those are my lads. Well, I'm going <laughs> to tell you, you beer I, just I, huge, it's fantastic. I'm going to have to differ with you a little bit in your statement yeah. that you and I are usually pretty much on point with each other. Uh, your mm. statement that it is a good audio track and I understand exactly what you're saying. Okay, mm-hmm. and I agree with you to some degree. But for us Americans, there was about at least a third or more of that language. The dialogue, I couldn't understand. I just didn't understand (laughs) what the hell they were saying. You're just not listening hard enough. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's fine. You just watch their body language. I know know where you're coming from. I suppose we've got so many dialects, and I've heard you hear them all. I mean, it's not a big place, and the, the... the accents change every 40 miles around here. Seriously, every 40 or 50 miles, bang, there's something different. You know, you go, London to the Midlands is only 100 miles. They speak totally, they speak with a totally different twang. And then over to the west of the Midlands, they've got another twang. Then you're into Wales. Then you go down to Cornwall. There's about 14 different strong regional accents <laughs> around the UK, you know. Well, and if I took you to Newcastle, seriously, you wouldn't understand a word. You would not get a word. Why are you like that's literally that's what they talk like. Now is that Crystal Palace? Going, what are they saying? I'm going. I don't want to tell you, but it's is, not good. Is Newcastle Crystal Palace? Uh, Crystal Palace is in London. Okay, so they're all they'd be more just your regular sort of London accent, a bit like that, right? They'd be a bit more like that. Although that's kind of more East Side. I'm not that great at these things. Newcastle is. I'm trying to think of anybody from Newcastle. <sighs> It's difficult accent to do and hold it together, but they they just go why are you man and they talk like this and they uh, but I'm not that good at it so I don't want to keep doing it well, until I've got it right. Uh, if I get it right, I'll I'll do a whole show with you talking was, as a. It, I don't know if we're gonna book that show. It you was wouldn't, you wouldn't it understand was, a word, would you? Would, no, I wouldn't. And and the thing about and then down in the West Country, they're taught like this. They talk like this, right here, and the, they come from there, and that's where. A few people, they talk like that, and they say, you're not from around here, are you? And that's, they talk like that. So you've got all these different accents. There's a, there's a bucket load of them. And uh, that was enough, of course, to have a fight over in the past. Well, you know, the thing <laughs> you're was... You're not from the, around here, are the, you? No, the movie, the movie <laughs> as, as well as the film is done, and there, this narration that's going through, and one of these segments comes through where you know the guy's saying something that you want to hear, and I'll be damned if you can understand it, whatever the dialect or whatever it is. <laughs> and you don't want to yeah. stop it and go back and because you, you, no. you're enthralled in, in, in what you're seeing in the way it's developing. So, But I did notice as I was going through there, I said, hell, a third of this thing, I can't understand what the heck you're saying. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think the film, you know, could probably be expanded out. I, I'm sure, obviously, the American uh, War Office will have their own footage as well from when the Americans arrived and everything, and that that would probably be worthy of a similar effort. Of that, I've no doubt. Um, and uh, I mean, I've got a good German colleague um, who's on on this wave. He's not a German lost to the German brainwashing. He's a German fully awake and therefore very prudent with how he communicates, which is wise, of course. You know what it's like over there these days. It's a nuthouse, really. But I've sent it to him. I'm, I'm going to be very interested. I said, look, you know, when you see it, all you're going to see, particularly towards, you know, two thirds in when they're actually confronting one another and, and you get more footage of Germans is you're just going, why are these blokes who are all from the same group, why are they all killing one another? That's really, you're just like, what's going on? I mean, there's a sort of madness. That's the madness that you see um, in the whole thing. Total and utter waste of life, complete waste. And uh, yeah, these guys, you know, what was one guy said? I wouldn't have missed it for anything. There was a quote. He said, when we got off the, we got off the boat and we were getting towards the battlefront. He said, um, I knew it was going to be a few days before we got there. And he said, I was desperately worried that it, it was going to finish before I got there. <laughs> it's going to end. I want to get involved, you know. And what did he said, we were walking down a road and we looked into a field and I heard this shell come over and this huge explosion, he said, and it was thrilling. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Going, Great war. Let's get it on, you know. So I, it's, I don't know what to say about it. Well, you can see it from a certain perspective. I guess they thought, we're in for this for a penny, we're in for a pound, to use an English phrase. That's it. We'll deal with it. We'll deal with it as we can. And, uh, and very much that that's what the, the film's about, is showing how normal people dealt with this atrocious circumstance with their bad teeth, as you rightly pointed out, oh with Lord. poles as toilets, with I mean, the most hellish things going on around them. If with, you, if it's you just it's incredible. If you do anything in the dental profession, you're going to have a field day watching this thing. <laughs> yeah, it's just incredible. I don't think dentistry had really taken off as an idea even then. And, uh, I mean, even the young guys, even the young guys yeah. are missing teeth and all, just in terrible shape. I mean, I was kind of shocked, really. Like I said, I don't think I saw one good set of teeth in the whole hour I was watching. And we saw a lot of faces. Yeah, it's hard to know how, how they used to kiss their wives with mouths like that. I think the women had better teeth, just to let you know. I don't know why they were just so bad. I don't know what it was, really. Maybe it's the arrival of cigarettes or too much beer, probably the latter. Yeah, maybe. For a long very sugar in the beer. No, but. Very noticeable in the film because a lot of them are smiling. I mean, it's not some gruesome thing necessarily, although it certainly has those parts, but... When it, the interviews with them, they're all, all of them are always got a smile. Hey, look, I'm on the camera. You know, and it comes along and that one guy and there's about 10 or 15, 20 guys and you see the camera guy coming along in front of them and the guy says, hey, look, we're on the camera, mom. So it was, uh, uh, it's worth watching and I wouldn't spend this much time on it and I'm sure Paul wouldn't be as uh, descriptive and, and you can hear uh, his emotions and his voice about it and probably mine too it's worth watching and for a number of different reasons and it was a spectacular work I mean just spectacular work in the film area it was it was I'll just look I, we don't have to stay on this forever or anything although I'm, I'm hard pressed to think of anything else than it's just swamping my head but there's a couple of little incidents that stick out one is um where there's a little bit of what they've done is with the lip reading is that they've uh, as i was saying they've got actors to provide the dialogue for when guys are talking to one another it works really well 
there's a bit where there's an English guy, there's a German prisoner, and they're just lying down. Not, it's nothing nasty or anything. There's loads of them in, in shot. And he's got he's got this he's got this German guy's hat. This is just these little things that knock me out. He goes, "Here, right," and he's flying around. He says, "You want your hat back?" And it's just like, "What?" It's so. Yeah, do you want your hat back? And he just gives him his hat back. It's little things like that. They get me. They, uh, you just see that the minute that the orders have fallen away, the humanity is just springing back up. It's like you can't. It's the decency's there all along the line. There was that, and then the other one is the testimony, which is really in the other realm, where they were talking about the mud. Oh, and it's this about the mud and the fact that one guy was saying that he saw a young lad just gets sucked down into it and die and he said it did his head in basically you know because he just no one could get out to him because he was 10 yards away from a plank and if anybody had gone out they'd have gone down with him it was just and just to be sucked down you just think oh that is stuff like that being it's the rotten things you know these things that are like a mess it's a complete mess is war it's and it's a bit like that thing that no 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 plan survives the first minute of contact with the enemy you could see in that main fight that within uh, the minute it started, the minute that the troops got up and went over the top, it, it was just a complete mess within inside 30 seconds. Everything that they were supposed to do, they couldn't do it. And they were cut to ribbons by machine gun fire. And the whole thing is just a total mess once it gets going. It is incredible. Uh, it's, it's quite, incredible. I'm just damn glad I wasn't involved in it. And I'm sorry for the people, that, how many millions lost their lives in that travesty. And yeah, it lot. is a travesty. Also, these guys can control the world. And the way that the other way, after they got the, the foundations adjusted around, which is what these wars are for, the other way they did it is through this trick that we cover here of being able to put the people into a system where their property and can be not only have uh, legal control over them, but also use them as collateral. And that's what makes all this yeah. possible. That's why the message that we've got here is so, pardon me, so damned important. I mean, it's just important. And I know you put it in front of people and it goes over their head. They don't see the significance. They don't understand the depth of it. They don't understand any of the perspectives. But it is yes. the essence of everything that's going on is that trick they did with the 14th Amendment in our country. That's what's perpetuating the whole damn thing today. Well, it's starting to come apart at the seams now, but it's perpetuated it all this time and allowed them to have the foundation politically and financially to pull all this crap off. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's a major plank in their uh, ring fencing of us their containment of us and their control of us, absolutely. Because it it acts in a very subtle way, in a way that doesn't appear to be initially overtly nasty or dangerous, but it sets up up a context whereby they can keep demanding more and more and more. And, you know, if, if we look at the last century, which obviously, you know, in many ways, I suppose, kicked off with that event that we've been talking about and what ran through there, it's just been a continual progress towards so-called globalism, which I... I'm announcing is is dead. It, it'll it'll still keep expanding, I think, and going. But I think at its very root, it's dead. Well, and uh, we have to build on that. We we really do. Nationalism is the only way to go. It is, it, it is because it's nature. It's it's what nature says. And of course, the way it's painted and thrown back at us is, oh no, when you had nations, 
like England and Germany, you're always having wars. To which my response is, those wars were orchestrated and organized by the very forces who were seeking to bring about globalism. That's why they arranged for these nations to have wars, so as to lay waste to the infrastructure, the morale, the, the civilizational momentum that we had built up, and to wreck it. Because that's all they do. They wreck it. And th- th- there is no globalism. It's a nonsense. Globalism has always exist because we live on a globe. Well, a flat earth if you're into that kind of thing. But let's use globe. I don't want to go there. Please. So, you, you know, that's it. It just is what it is. And uh, people get on best with people from their own race because they do. And everybody in your own race is um, superior to anybody in any other race, as it should be. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's great. It's really healthy. Um, and that's what we, you know, this is where we defeat their argument because I think, you know, the context for so much of the news, for so much of this left-wing liberal lunacy, is lo- it's lunacy because it's not grounded in actuality. It's grounded in a sick daydream that's based on false premises. Oh, we will be peaceful if we can all come together and tolerate one another. How about we don't do that? How about if everybody just stays at home right and you'll find that the idea of whether you have to or do not tolerate other people doesn't even come up it's not even on the menu it won't even be really much of your life and it doesn't need to be um and we can interact and do certain things so the whole idea of a global economy is tedious and boring we need to basically in part i think you know show that globalism is naff it's old-fashioned it's for it's for silly old it's people tyranny. like george soros it's, yeah but we need to mock them we need to turn it into a comedy act. We need to show this is what happened when dumb asses with a lot of money start thinking that they've got an idea. They haven't got any ideas at all. Or, or the ones that they've got have got no value. We don't need any of this. We don't want any of your complexity. We don't think it's a great vision. This is not progress. It's none of the words that you're using. It's the complete opposite of that. And I think we can get that. We can get that point across. I think it is getting across. It's, it's, it's getting some, across big time because what you're seeing yeah. is they've laid. They had to lay the basis for the global initiative, and they did that with the internet and with all, a lot of this trade and stuff. And the and now we've got that, but we don't have to have the political side of this and the nationalistic fever that's uprising around the world is effectively stopping globalism in its tracks from what i see paul yeah yeah and i and ju- i mean just coming back to that film as well what i'm going to say sounds a bit ludicrous really but i would rather die with those men then than be faced with the prospect of having to live in this ongoing multicultural hell seriously because the one thing that they had that we don't is they had they were bound together in a great way this is what kept the you know you, t- you hear about morale right i mean well that's part and parcel of, of of the great challenges that we face is that morale is a thing that occurs when you're stood with your fellow brother and sister dealing with a threat to all of you something occurs and it's um a heightened sense of connection with one another, a mutual support in the most appalling circumstances. In fact, unfortunately, it seems to me that it's only when the circumstances are really, really bad that we rise up to become really our best and are at our best. And it's quite tragic, of course, because when these people rise to their best and then they're still extinguished in in the mess of it all. Um, But I think that's something to get back to because what we're kind of enduring at the moment is a non-civilization. 
it's an uncivilization. There isn't a civilization here. You and I are carrying it in our blood and in our language and maintaining this flame going and trying to build it. And we will. It's going to build up. We're going to, we're going to cauterize the wound. We're going to burn it down, this mess that's invaded our homes. It's got to go. Um, but it's wonderful. That's, that was a positive I take from this. It might seem a bit bizarre, but I looked at them and I thought, that camaraderie, that connection is available to us. And this is not the way to go about recreating it, of course. I'm not saying we indulge in trench warfare. That would be rather foolish and thankfully unachievable. But you get my idea. Maybe we are, we're in a kind of psychological trench warfare. Of well, that, that's what, that aren't, probably, isn't no that what we're doing here? I mean, we've we got mm-hmm. a little narrow trench, core audience. Uh, there's other trenches all over the place, and we're trying to, uh, I, you know, my philosophy of this, Paul's, I've told you, and you know, and we've told the audience, is just to try and do what we do the best we can that we know we're supposed to be doing and at, we'll find our own level water always seeks its own level we have the message that I don't know the percentage of people that are wanting to hear it but there's a whole lot of people that are wanting answers and something to clear up the confusion and that's what this does okay yes so, so it's just a matter of time and uh, we'll just keep putting one foot in front of the other and try and get the technical snafus straight and try and get this fixed and that. And, and if you guys, you know, if if you weren't paying me the big bucks, uh, I'd probably work a little harder, you know? <laughs> me too. I keep stumbling over all this money in my hall. Yes. It's terrible, really. <laughs> yes. It's like yeah, I just don't know what to do. Oh, no, no. More bundles of cash in the wardrobe. What am I going to do with it? It's just outrageous, isn't it? Like, we never know what to do with all the vast quantities of cash that keep coming they're like right. it's like the bundles are like rats in the in the trenches yeah right they are uh, they are yeah, well I, you know that's the nice thing about what we do and the people like us is you're driven by some emotion that's not necessarily financial and i do this out of a sense of duty and if i wasn't out here doing it guess what nobody would know this message because nobody's ever figured no. it out okay no I came across a nice little quote the other day about that, about money and, you know, you can't serve two gods. You can't serve God and mammon. And, uh, but it was something about the ancient Greeks. They said that they had a view that a, a philosopher who took money was not really a philosopher at all, but was just a sophist in, involved in sophistry. And I think that's kind of part and parcel of it, you know. It, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you want to get out there on the truth trail. There's... Uh, there's no central banks down there. <laughs> they just hang around. You can forget it. It's just not. It's not going to happen. I think that. But then I think higher forces provide in different ways. I still think there's things that can be done. They're never going to really be long lasting until we get to the very root and, and hack it out. The thing is that part and parcel of the communication here is that that root gets more clearly defined and identified, and weak points in it to hack at it are becoming clearer to more and more people. That's a good thing. That is a very good thing. It's the Thoreau, I think it was Thoreau, that said, for every hundred people hacking at the branches of the tree of tyranny, there's one person hacking at the root. And that's what I like to feel that we do here is hack at the root with not not just a machete, but with a big old, absolutely real sharp, double-sided axe. Um, Yes. And I think, you know, we've, uh, we've touched a lot of people. Uh, Paul, listen, this is part interesting on this technical stuff, right? You know, for the last mm-hmm. number of months, I've been having these dropouts with the Wi-Fi that 
I'd have to go back yeah. in, recurrent, bring it, and it got to be where I could get through it pretty easy, but I never could get the problem solved. Even had quite a bit of email discourse with the Wi-Fi re- receiver guy, you know, even making yes. me take pictures of the thing and send it and whatnot. Since I moved over here, I'm using the same Wi-Fi dongle, and it hadn't dropped once, so the problem was in the router. Yeah, it would have been something like that. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's, it's clear right now. Things are steady. But they they, to be all steady, that, they? all so, that, and they're about to improve for you as well. So that's yes, and all that's that good. troubleshooting, trying to find this one, thinking it's the Wi-Fi, and you're dealing with either the computer or the software, or the driver or the dongle, and the whole problem's in the damn router. Mm-hmm. So anyway, just some of the don't things worry. That you, you, you know, you're going to be lost, aren't you? What are you going to do when it's all technically working well? That half your shows are going to be able to talk Gosh, about your technical we're, problems anymore. I'm going to have to cause you some grief elsewhere. Maybe we can get those dogs to attack you mid-show. Uh, they might. Looking around. If I don't have a bone <laughs> for them, they might. Um, so let's see. Well, uh, anybody that wants to contact Chris had to go down to the court and see if he's on some docket. Shane tried to call in, and I couldn't get back with him. Uh, and so it's you and me and a dog named Blue here, buddy. But if anybody wants That's to nice. call us, uh, it's uh, 404-448-1420. Many people know that already. It's over on the website. Probably if you're a regular, got it programmed into your phone. You can put in Skype if you've got it on any of your devices, they call them lump them all into this term devices if you've got them on any of your devices skype you can put in the search their ppn space hotline call us direct on skype i don't know if they require a handshake for that or not we shouldn't and it might be some mm-hmm. setting in this whole new setup of skype we hadn't figured out yet um these people really threw a, mon- a, a wrench in the monkey wrench uh with this in a number of areas of the way that it okay patrick i'll get i'll call you right back here let me but the way they uh threw a monkey wrench making everybody do this the way they are yep uh let me see if i can add patrick back in i think this okay this process works uh one ringy dingy two ringy dingy he'll see if he pops in i think he just joined us is that you patrick yeah i'm in yeah there you go sound good too man how you doing hello patrick Hey, hey, fellas, doing okay? Just sitting around eating my vitamins, reading your book, listening. Yeah, I got to get you this the, movie, uh, Patrick. You need to see this movie, man. What movie is that? The one we've been talking about for the last hour. Oh, uh, so many in the last few weeks. I forget no, that the one was called good. Duties or not Duties. Uh, what was the one? It was a one-word deal. Uh, uh, oh, I can't capture it right now. Uh, My mind's in this book. Well, um, the, the vice is maybe the the one that uh, we're yeah. talking about here is called "They Shall Not Die," and it's an well, it's they a, shall not grow old. Grow old, excuse me. And it's a fabulous movie with uh, colorized worldwide World War One stuff from the British archives. It's quite impressive. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. I uh, let me grab a piece of paper and pen. Let me write that down, or I'll forget it. No, I'll send it to you in an email. I'll send you the link okay, in the email. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So anything over uh, there? Over there. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say if there's anything you call in with anything on your mind or any questions. You said you were into the book. Yeah. Well, the what you were talking about earlier, you know, I spoke to when closing the show on that paragraph in page one thirty-eight. You know, it really struck home with me. 
and it's just, just really you talking there, but uh, talks as if enough people will catch on, this thing will go away. You know, the, the paragraph says at the bottom of the page, this is fraud, this is treason. If enough Americans will learn the information, exercise their God-given birthright, this con game can be stopped. That is, if you want it and to have a political or patriotic will to take the action and make it happen. The entire process starts with you. So, you know, that that makes you think when you're learning this stuff and, and, and running here, there, and everywhere to keep up this uh, rat race I'm in and realizing I can get off of it, come out of her. And what's really important is it is it my peace of mind with my creator and, and knowing what I'm, what I'm worth and what I've lost and where I need to get back to and uh, let go of all this stuff, you know. And, yep. Uh, this uh, this is going to set the heart and soul free, I think. And uh, it does. You know, why? Why Patrick, the people? I've, I, yeah. And I've been through it for a number of years here, and not really knowing what I was going through. All right, having to look back and analyze it, and that's why I say to the audience that what this is is a self empowerment program. And if you start down the path and you start doing the things that you know you need to do, you will become re-empowered. They've stolen all of our power at birth. They've intimidated us into a corner with it our entire lives. And all of a sudden, you got a way to get it back. You're going to have to do a little work. You're going to have to have balls at some of those early stages to take the step, and it's going to be very counter to what you've always been programmed into. But it works. They do what you want them to do, and it empowers you in the process. It's a wonderful process, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Page 76 is broke away from the book. I just hold it in my hand. It's not mainly the... You know, legal definitions you go down through there, and I try to read them every every Wednesday and hear a little there a little, and it, it's slowly growing in me. Um, you know, when I got involved in masonry when I was young, dad and granddad ran it, and, of course, I got out of it after I figured out not to take an oath and what was going on and everything. And uh, But, you know, over a three-month period of time, I'd sit down with that old pharmacy, that old Jew pharmacy, you know, through the, doing that catechetical, you would get it down, and you would amaze yourself that as long as you did repetition, all of a sudden, it was etched in your mind, and uh, I couldn't do it today. But I know some of the some of the language and see all the signs and steps. And of course, I come out of that. But uh, Yahweh drug me out of it. Why he wakes me up? He he wakes me up a lot of times when I'm just walking through the deal, and it, it blows my mind that he's guided me away from major landmines that I was stepping all around and on almost. You know, in uh, in life, whether it's marriage and remarriage to come to the knowledge of the truth or just the, the, the iniquity or sin that, that, you know, you continue to do and you try to clean the gal out of you and, uh, overcome your, your, uh, flesh, I guess. But, um, it's, it's a process you go through and, you know, no one can ascend unless they've descended. And I believe we truly were. He knew us before the foundation of the earth as Adam and, and who we are. And, uh, we're a unique people. I have to agree. I'm trying to add, Katja is wanting to join us here, and, and she called in, and I'm trying to figure out how to add her into the call here. So uh, I can't, well, I'll tell you what, this is so screwy, Paul, I can't find where we're all on now. No? No, usually it's at the top on the left where the whole conversation's going on, and and it's not there where I can add people in. I tell you. 
All right, okay. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I, I, I don't know about the vagaries of this. Ever since they've improved it, it's got, it's really been improved, hasn't it? They really have improved it. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'll, okay, I'm seeing two fun numbers up there at the moment. Yes, um, my, my, myself and Patrick, see? I guess. I don't right. know. I can't find the master conversation to add people into it. Oh, these people just absolutely. Okay, there it is. All right, let's see. Now I think we can do this. Just sorry, folks. It's uh, it's that learning experience stuff. Let's see here. I think I can add the lovely Senora in this method here. Let's see if we can't get her in there. Patrick, your connection sounds real good today, by the way. Okay, I think she's joined us here. Katya, uh, I believe you know Paul now, and, and I'll introduce you to Patrick. How you doing out there? Hi, success. Thanks for linking me up. Hi, Patrick. Hi, Paul. Hi, Kat. Good afternoon. So, good evening. And actually, it's morning here, evening there maybe, and uh, on planet Mars, who knows. But I'm intrigued this morning with your whole conversation and tying together this lust for freedom that we have with Roger's program and counterposing that to what you said about the movie, They Shall Not Grow Old, and how they just did as they were told, go to war, save England, save the queen, save the world, and they trounced off to the trenches gleefully and jolly to to do just that and, uh, and to fill their bellies. And I, I want to believe that man's lust for freedom will save us from this seemingly never-ending cycle of self-slaughter and brother wars. Uh, going back to the Civil War and the, the uncivil war in the U.S. and World War One and Two and Korea and Vietnam and you know, my generation was Vietnam. I'm a, I'm a MIA daughter from Vietnam. And I get so angry when they continually repeat that Vietnam was a mistake. And, and I have to re-educate people. There's no mistake about this. This is all planned, and it's part of the genocidal program and the globalist uh, scheme of things. Would you agree? Yep. 100%. Yes, I would agree. And then all my generation says, never again, never again. And then they send their sons and daughters off no. to Iraq. No, we don't and say that. Afghanistan and that's, that's Syria, the, and here we are. That's that other ethnic group that says never again. We need to start saying it and meaning it. Yeah, yeah, it was both those wars were over the poppy plant, that's for sure. French are in there first, trying to keep it under control, among other things. I mean, things. This, that, fra that phrase as well, never again, that the other group, shouldn't it be, it never happened Yes, again. it should be that. And that's why, you see the dialectical nature of this? Now, that's against us. Now we can take that exact phrase, never again, and, and enslave the whole world in this little method of yours, never again. And ours has teeth. Theirs is false. Yeah. Yeah. Never again. 
And that's part of my drive to try and get this message out as far and as wide as possible and touch as many people as we can with it so that we can legitimately say never again in one united voice with people that understand exactly what the hell has happened. Because, you know, I've seen pictures of the symphony orchestras playing over there in Auschwitz. I've seen pictures of the swimming pool. I got a, do a, a document here, uh, a publication from Barnes Review, which has uh, pictures of the money that they used internally in those camps. The script. They had a script in there, same way we got a script called Federal Reserve Note. I've seen pictures <laughs> of the soccer games where the guards played against the inmates over there. There's pictures of that in One this nil. publication. <laughs> I know. The football match is unbelievable. The footage of the football match is really nice. Okay. <laughs> but according to the according to the official report, they're actually playing a football match right next to the gas chambers. Oh, yeah, right. How's that work? Well, yeah. as I said, never again. Anyway. Never again. We're going to make damn sure you don't enslave us ever, ever again, you slaving bastards. This is their ethnicity. This is their vocation throughout history. This isn't anything I'm pulling out of my sphincter muscle. This is historical fact. You know, the challenge, of course, is, is uh, I'm not going to say anything new here, but the challenge, an aspect of the challenge, of course, is to get sufficient numbers on this side. And in the process of getting those numbers, is I, I believe, is to keep your powder dry. We've got to keep our powder dry until we don't have to worry about keeping our powder dry. Uh, so it's getting through to people. But it's very, I think I might have said here, you know, there's someone I talk to on a regular, I've had, I've had a sort of interaction with a normal person, okay? And I've probably addressed this aspect of history maybe three or four times. And I make a similar sort of series of very simple factual observations, which gets a nod. The problem is every time I come back to the conversation again, say five or six weeks later, that guy's understanding is exactly at the same point it was as if I'd never spoken to him. I'm going, hang on, we covered this last time. He goes, no, that can't be right. I'm going, I'm going to start, I can't do this anymore. You know, can you remember what we discussed? Yep. But actually, it's not they can't remember it. It's that the programming is so strong yep. uh, with regards to the established narrative that it's impossible. It's very, very difficult for people to, on a pragmatic basis, break out of it. I know everybody can. The question we've got is we're kind of looking at our stopwatches going, yeah, when? You know, like now would be a good time. Why not now? Why not do it immediately nope. so that we can crack on with this? You know, but it doesn't, you know, That's it doesn't work That's why that, that Old Testament saying, and I don't know the book or, or the verse, but it says, because they have not a love of the truth, I will send them strong delusion. They will believe a lie. Those people, that guy yep. you're talking about, believes the lie. And there's nothing you can do except plant the seed with him like you've been doing and walk away and hope it germinates. Pray. It's like the vicar, right. the 16-year-old kid, kid in the film. He says, I went up to the vicar and told him I was in the army. And he said, how old are you, son? He said, 16. He said, I'll pray for you. Hmm. I'll pray for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, Dewey, uh, By the way, got a question here. Go ahead. Got a no, question, Roger. Use, useless uh, the uh, uh, murder by injection. Can you explain that to me in a nutshell with what he was the, covering there? The uh, only, the only book that's been written on the history of the AMA. Okay, American what? Uh, American Medical, Medical Association. Association. And boy, that's gotcha. a, that is a good book. 
you can go over to Jim Ram's do it your your self help site sure. and download it. Yeah. I, I sent it to him a while back. He's got it up there for download. You can if you don't mind reading books on a computer. Uh, very any of Eustace Mullins's work, and you know I reiterate because we bring Eustace up a bit around here. I did have the pleasure of meeting him personally a number of different times, hearing him talk on these. I think one of them was the murder injection uh, tour. Uh, there in Atlanta where I saw him and I've never seen one thing he ever wrote or heard of one thing he ever stated in his public appearances to be rebutted as incorrect. Never. Not one. No. Huh. A very st- he was a very steady fellow. Wonderful guy. He was really a charming. Talk about attitude. Yeah. Attitude. I mean, he'd get up there and talk about how many times they tried to kill him, <laughs> burning the hotel in, down he was in, and all these different ways they tried to kill him, and he just had the greatest attitude about it, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, was a good, he, was, he was a real piece of work, that guy. It's worth reading, Patrick, Murder by Injection. I'm sure Katya would probably uh, agree with that. Totally. I have to get in right there. On. Yep. Uh, hey, my, hey, Catcher, my, my distilled water machine is due to arrive today, okay? Today, I woke up thinking about your distilled water machine. <laughs> Good, Catcher. Because uh, Catcher's, been, Catcher's been in touch with me since last Wednesday, okay? And uh, so I've been on the receiving end of, of a full pelt of her energy, which has been fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. So I've had all these little exchanges, and she's being very gentle with me as she slowly thrashes my mind into shape with regards to health. So it's been great. Well, so Paul, I'll keep I you posted. To, as we go, catch I, I, Fantastic. Wanted to, I wanted to personally well, welcome you to the Catcha fan club that's developing around her work. <laughs> oh, it's all ticking up no. now. <laughs> well, Patrick, you want to join the fan club? Because i got a thrashing for you. <laughs> all right. <Are> you... <laughs> I liked your, uh, well, when you came on, you said you were drinking coffee and taking your vitamins, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm on that, uh, that longevity stuff. It, uh, it, it's a game changer. It is. Okay. The reason I yep. mention it is that word vitamin, because they have us all programmed to take our vitamins. It started in the 50s with our one-a-day vitamins, vitamins. And the the key to our health is minerals. Yep. Vitamins are just vitamins because they vitalize the minerals. But if you don't take the minerals, they have nothing to vitalize. Yep. So everybody says, I got to take my vitamins. I say, no, you're minerals. Yep. We have a fishing tackle box in our drawer in the kitchen, and it's filled with all these different minerals uh, that we take at mealtimes that are specifically uh targeted for our individual chemistries here i did this with my children growing up too so everybody has different minerals some are in common that we all need but but depending on our body chemistries they're different for individuals and and when we sit down to a meal my husband inevitably says oh i have to get my vitamins and i say your minerals and we do this day after day year after year and he still has to jump up i have to get my vitamins your minerals, dear. So I just kind of want to. I like the sound of your husband. Patrick. He's nice. He's good. I like him. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, he holds his own, which isn't easy <laughs> with a girl like me. Yep. Uh, I want you to get I agree with the, you. That's a good way to call it. Yeah, that's, you know, I use it, a lot of people call them kids. I call them children. You know, I was yep. corrected, so I guess you need to start calling them minerals. But uh, um, mistake yeah. I make. I want you to our do little a, goats. I want you to calling yeah. our children yeah. goats. Right, exactly. I want you to get into a little bit on the distilled water thing. But Doug joined us here. That was the noises that were going on, some of them anyway. And I'd never like to ignore Mr. Doug when he calls in. Doug, how you doing, buddy? Up in Arkansas today. I'm doing well and fine, and enjoying the show and all your uh, guests there, and uh, Paul. Etc. Good. We're glad to have you along, Doug, as always. Uh, what I was going to mention was uh, when you spoke about a, the best book you ever heard, uh, I've not read Murder by Injection, but back in the early 70s, I did get my hands on a book. <laughs> I don't know if it's still available, and I don't. I have it somewhere probably stored away uh but uh, it's called Sugar Blues. And thorough history of the AMA. Uh, and so, uh, like I say, I can't compare it to murder by injection, but it goes way back in history to the Roman Catholic Church, etc. And uh, so... I just wanted to add that uh, okay. if you can, if anybody can, if that book's still available. Uh, it's an excellent historical documentation. The title of, rings. Uh, title rings a bell with me a little bit. Sugar blues or blue singular. It is correct. It is correct. available on Amazon, and it's a superb read and an absolute must in our sugar addicted society today. Okay. Well, what I found interesting about it was the history of the AMA. Yes. Uh, not just about sugar, but uh, actually, um, it goes well. It goes into um, when basically, uh, you know, it, it's been. I slept last night, so it's been a few decades. Uh, but my recollection uh, tells me that. Basically, where this began with the Roman Catholic Church was them getting rid of. Uh, well, we're uh, and so, anyway, that's all about that. Oh, it was clipping a little on my end. Getting rid of what, Doug? The Roman Catholic Church getting rid of what? Holistic practitioners. Um, well, let me tell you how they were done. How that happened, according to Eustace is after they started taking control and getting organized to take over this huge part of the economy, they, uh, in those days, we had the bludgeoning or the early parts of the new type of medicine. And you had the holistic and you had the allopathic is the word I'm looking for. And what they did was got a guy named Flexstein. Is that right, Katya? Wasn't it wrote a memo called the Flexstein Memo? And after that, so. after that circulated, all there was something like 104 holistic medical colleges in the country. And after that thing circulated, there were four or none. 
Well, you know, Benjamin Rush, Dr. Benjamin Rush proposed an amendment or an article or to include as the the 10, what's the word I'm looking for? The Bill of Rights, the freedom of practice in medical care. And uh, he said within 200 years, the usual suspects will have totally wiped out all alternatives if we don't put this in the Constitution, and it was not included. However, there's a, a proposal, a Benjamin Rush Amendment, that would do just that. Uh, that's something my husband works on. In fact, he was the one who helped write it with Jack Phillips, and it's presented in his book called Suppressed Medical Science. And that's what we need today if we're going to get out from under this well, you know the Bill of Rights. Tyranny. The Bill of Rights are very interesting. I read a little book on them one time. wasn't very long because I was with somebody who was at a doctor's appointment, and I I read a whole bunch of it while I was waiting for him to get out of there. But um, after the Constitution was written, there was a cry that it didn't cover enough ground and that this was missing, and so a call went out to the states to uh, basically start giving their suggestions for this Bill of Rights. Do you know how many they had, Katya, to whittle down to 10? <laughs> Tell me. 170. 170-something. Yeah. And so they got back those responses from the states, and they whittled it down to 10, and it's too bad that Dr. Rush's uh, got whittled out. Totally, because we're in a world of mess now, aren't we? Uh, but I did hear in the State of the Union last night, not that I paid a lot of attention or listened to it all, I did hear Trump say something about right to act or choose or what, you remember his phrase? And I, it had to do with, oh, alternative, right to alter, some, some comment like that. And so I'm wondering, I haven't... Uh, found that yet what it's all about but it sounded like he's talking a right to act do alternative medicine i think they're gonna he's really attacking obamacare big time as much as he can they've got it a little bit entrenched it's on real shaky legal footing though right now because yep. one of the pillars we heard brent went into it one day there were three pillars or i watched it on this video three um, pillars of obamacare Chris how press one for and uh three pillars of obamacare and this ruling in texas recently took the main pillar out from under it that roberts had relied on in his supreme court decision okay so for the mandate yes i believe it's so complex and i don't have anything to do with it being out of the country so i don't keep up on it as much as i was personally involved you know but uh, but I think we got some changes coming to try and get the insurance companies out of the medical health field, which is really what has happened. They've taken it over. Yeah, you read a modern day book uh, by Wallach called "Dead Doctors Don't Lie." It'll put it it puts them out to bay about who they are and what they are, and of course, the sorcery. You know, farmuco. That's all that is is demons and uh, full of it, and it's just a big cash register. All they want to do is prescribe cut and burn and you're just another unit like me selling the car and 
oh, well, if you die here, where's the next one? You know, can we cash in on this one? It's There's, like the ultimate a, protection racket. It is. Uh, the Janda. Yep. Janda's all I wasn't this. ill. I wasn't ill. Well, you will be because <laughs> we're around now. <laughs> you, better take the, you better take the preventative medicine. You never know when you're going to get ill, particularly when doctors show up on Big they, Pharma. I, got, I had uh, some news through just the other day in an email because I, I get CBD oil. You know, I have to get it for my wife and stuff. And uh, there's all sorts of umming and ahhing now over here. It's only been legalized for a little while. Um, and they're not going to make it illegal, but they're going to make it. There's a possibility that you won't be able to buy it for 18 months while they reclassify it. Uh, why? Oh, I wonder. Probably because it's been quite effective in dealing with a lot of things. Yep. I mean, the thing that I've noticed. Um, uh, people have just sent me videos. It doesn't. It doesn't pertain here. It's not a problem we have here. But people with Parkinson's, who obviously you know, are almost like shaking themselves to death. In many cases, the CBD oil is having the most phenomenal results. You know, like within a matter of five to ten minutes. They're completely chilled and relaxed and uh, not having to go through all the exhausting process of having their bones shaken to bits. So it's, it's a strange one. It's a, Well, it's not really. It's just this protection racket. It's got out of hand. Uh, it's got massively out of hand. And who are we to believe? Who are we to believe? They want us to believe them, and they don't have a good track record when it comes to that kind of stuff. Come out of think. her. Come out of her, my people. You can come out of her in all these different ways. You don't have to participate in her plagues and her fornication. Okay? Uh, it, it is a choice, and you do have a choice, uh, but you're the one that's got to ascertain it and make it and exercise it. Um, what else? I had something on the tip of my tongue a second ago I wanted to say. Uh, Katya, why don't well, you give I us... Think, I, I think, Roger, the problem is the, the education. They have us all believing that one takes a pill or, or gets sliced up, and, and that's a cure. And, and they don't realize that the only healer is God. God made your body to cure itself. It wants to cure itself. It does cure itself. Just like Jim Ram says every day. And he's absolutely spot on. And if people could internalize the fact that there is nothing a doctor can give you, no pharmaceutical a doctor can give you that won't cause you harm, at least should give people a moment to pause and and consider another decision. The, you said the education, and I, let me inject the conditioning. Because it's not education, it's conditioning. And they condition you, condition you over into those thought processes, and it's damn hard, just like you could go in and make Pavlov's dog stop salivating when they rang the bell. Yep. We're a creature of habit. What a pickle. Yep. So it, that's why it goes back to that Bible verse. And, the, you know, Paul's, I'm going to my friend, and I keep telling him, and he doesn't forget. Six months later, I talk to him, same stuff. He ain't supposed to know. You can't concentrate on that, and you can't make that your goal. Your goal has got to be to spread the seed along as many people as you can and let it germinate and pray for those people that it germinates with them because a lot of them it ain't going to germinate with. I'm here telling you from historical, personal experience. You're on the right path. Yeah, I said to preach it in season, out of season, where they hear, they forbear. It'll be held, you'll be held accountable if you don't let the truth go. 
But if you hold it back, then he'll require their blood at your hand. Well, that's one of the main things I like about what we do and personally what I do is I don't have any guilt. You know, hey, you were told. All right. Yep. Yep. That's that's what you're supposed to do. Be a watchman on the wall. And people say, well, you're obsessed with all this stuff. I am obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with freedom and mine, and I'd like to be obsessed with yours. If you'll open up your mind a little bit, remember the mind's like a parachute. It only works when the damn thing's open. (laughs) What an analogy. (laughs) I'm not going skydiving, though, if that's what you're trying to get at. There's no way I'm doing that, okay? Did I misunderstand what you said or something? There's no way I'm doing that, okay? I better open that's up not, more than your mind. That's not on. That's not on your bucket list, Paul. No, I look anything to do with heights. Count me out. I like. I know where I'm happy. I like it down here. This is good. I was born down here, right? I was right on the ground. I've been here most of the time. It's great. You start mucking around up there. You have people jumping out of things. I have no idea what they're doing. It's just well, terrible. Well, the last time I tried... There's a guy, there's a local guy here. I'll be seeing him tomorrow night, okay? His son is an accountant. He's in his mid-30s. His son's an accountant. And on his books, he acts as an accountant for some of these YouTube guys that are stars. The, the biggest YouTube guy in the world, he doesn't have this guy, but is this guy called PewDiePie. Ch- yeah, sure. And he, and he works 12 miles away from me. It's ridiculous, right? This is his studio. It's 12 miles down the road here. And uh, and all that kind of stuff. This guy's the guy with 78 million followers, 78 mm-hmm. million on YouTube. You get him to say a few words about this, bang, it'll break you, right? So that's the power of having the crowd, you know, even though it's about video games. But you know these other guys that go out and do the climbing? The, they just go and climb cranes in Abu Dhabi without any oh, safety yeah. equipment. You've seen this kind of madness? Yes. You must have. You haven't? Yeah. My son, my son takes great pleasure in putting it on the TV and say, Dad, look at this. And before I can catch it, I'm having to watch this stuff. <laughs> and I just I can't watch it. I, it just drives me nuts. I, I can't abide it. Anyway, this guy, the guy, the guy whose son is the accountant, he's got a couple of these free climbers on his books. And they say to him, we're going up to a construction site in east side of London or wherever it is, a filming of the next day. So they have to write a contract out, and there's a death clause in it because, you know, they may not come back. So it's all worked out what happens if he dies on the job, you know. It's mad. <laughs> but uh, I just thought I'd let you know. Anyway, I'm not into heights. I'm not into parachutes. I never saw the point in that. Um, but give me some uh, give me some wings. I'd probably be okay. Well, I wouldn't I, mind I'm a pair a, of wings. I always wanted a jetpack, Roger. Give, give me a jetpack on the way, but not... I'm not parachuting. I'm going to offer you for a, a set of four wheels and ask you to drive 12 kilometers down the road and extend a, a helping hand to Cutie Pie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he probably wants. I mean, look, I'm an old fart. You've got to remember that in comparison to these people, are very, very young, you know, and I'm now in tremendously old and seasoned, as we say. So it's ridiculous. You know, you're just, uh, there's a big gap. And uh, I don't even like video games, you know. I didn't even like them when they, even when I was young, I didn't like them. I didn't know, what's the point of all this twiddling around? I don't get it. But my, uh, hey-ho, there you go. Uh, uh, it's a different world now, you know. <laughs> I'm like you, Paul. I, I, know, I didn't get into these video games either. Go ahead, Patrick. I checked into skydiving, met a guy in the uh, checkout. He he had his little truck, military looking. He taught it. He said, nah. You're gonna to have to lose some weight. I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "I can't. You got to be 225 or less." And uh, yeah. I said, "Well, I guess I got something to look forward to, don't I?" 
Well, I'm a, I'm about six one and two sixty five. So yikes! It should be two twenty five, but uh, you know it's it, it is what it is. I uh, have gotten lazy. All that sugar, Patrick. Lay off the sugar. Yeah, yeah. Well, Paul, you're right. You're uh, right. Unlike you, that's always has been on my bucket list. I don't know about. I guess I would like to free fall a little bit. I'd have to go through some mental uh, foundational. Th- exercises we've got a few for, shows before you go off and yeah, do that, I'll then, do you know, that. but you know the <laughs> one that i'm so practical about <laughs> it but these things sometimes don't work out roger well you know? since i since the last time i tried to fly out the second floor last july i don't know that i'll be doing that um, yeah your first attempt didn't turn out so, so good it did it no right no. so come on <laughs> but i, well, I say would say in the south down here how'd that work out for you <laughs> it didn't work yeah. out real well um I, I have always wanted to, and this wouldn't be too restrictive. I've always wanted to fly a glider. Ah, uh, yeah, that'd be cool. I think I could do that. I could do that. At least this. You see, the thing about that plunging thing, right? Is is I just think gravity is a lot strange. It's the plunging I don't like. It's this whole <laughs> thing about plunging. You just go. Well, what am I supposed to do if the parachute does not open? Oh, what options have I got left? What I'm going to do? Sing a song? And, and I mean, yeah. it's just—it's not. You know, there's nothing good. Like now, if you said get into a car and drive quickly at 200 mile an hour, I could do that because psychologically, I think. Well, if something goes pear shaped with the whole thing, at least I got hold of the steering wheel and the and the brakes, hopefully, and I might be able to do something. But the plunging, I go, oh well, I'm just plunging here. There's nothing I can do. There's no other options. You can't even say right. I've tried A and I've tried B because there's no A to try. There's pray. nothing to do. You just go, oh, ooh, pray, dear. pray is a good one. Now you know, but it's yeah, interesting. I guess. There's been some people that have gone through that and their chute didn't open, and they landed yeah. from tremendous heights and it didn't kill them. They may never not many, have Roger. ever been. Roger, not many. No, no probably not. not. They are the exception <laughs> that proves the rule. Are you an advert? You're not a salesman for this, are you? This is not going good. No, so, no, I'm a commentator. I'm strictly a color analyst here. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. They always want to tell you the good side. Don't worry, you're plunging at ten thousand feet, but you might come out of it. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Sure. I'm hopeful. <laughs> Well, there's a couple oh, of people Never that, again. as hard Never as it again. is to believe, there's a couple of people that have lived through that experience. Brent was talking about one on, on one of these Friday shows here a while back, and it's amazing that people could walk away from that. But occasionally, yeah, Paul, the, I mean, there's there not is much hope. to talk about that's the people what, that didn't come that's through why it, you is there? You were I mean, saying, the people that didn't come through it, what's that story? Oh, this guy jumps out of a plane and he hits the earth at 140 mile an hour and he's jammed. There's just no story there. That's well, most see, of the stories, Roger. See, you're saying, All the stories are like the one I'm telling, not the one you're telling. You're saying I'm plunging. What do I do? Well, you can pray, yeah. man. You can pray. Yes. You're one of those ones that makes it. You know, oh, I'm a kind of logical guy. I kind of think you know that we've been given the signals in the in the first place, and it's a bit like you've said this before. You know, making a it's only a mistake if you don't learn from it, right? So you know, you, you it's really simple. I just think, hey, I'm doing it again. No, no, this is bad. This is really silly. So it's not for me. I just don't do well with heights. The last I, I went to the we were in New York in 1997. And we went up the, uh, they were still there, weren't they, right? So we go up the trade towers, and I'm right at the top, you know, with my nose pressed like a little kid against the glass, <laughs> looking down the thing. And I said, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. This is just too high. It's silly. What's the point of making these things so high? You know, 
<laughs> gravity's going to win. Gravity is, you know, so I'm going to respect gravity and try and stay on the ground. You know, it's quite nice. I, I like that. Pretty funny. Pretty funny stuff. Mm. I get that high up in the air. It, it makes me, I get that sensation to want to jump when I start getting to the edge. It, it jacks with my mind, so I, I try to stay away. And When I was young, it didn't bother me. But And got into flying Cessnas about 10 years ago and realized I'd kill myself. I didn't do it every other day, so my in-law flew for, or still does my son-in-law for JetBlue, and uh, we do touch and goes and all that. And I really had a peace of mind and felt clear. You know, we'd fly for three or four hours and rent a plane up Gibson County, and um, after about sixteen hours, I realized all that, and I was wanting to put one up at the river because it was a two and a half hour drive to get there for tailwind in thirty minutes. And we'll go visit it again one day when I, when I get a little older, got more time to do it, but. It's a way of life in Alaska, that's for sure, and I'm yeah, in love with sure that is. place. But, you know, uh, j- jumping uh, jumping off things is just, just don't work out for us when we get older. And I, I remember when we went out to Colorado. Brenda was trying to get me to uh, to go out west of Colorado instead of going to Alaska because at one point I was wanting to go up there and, and, and get away and live. And uh, went out to the Great Divide. Now that we went, we canoed the uh, – rafted the uh, – the Arkansas River, and I uh, asked the guy, and he was, he was an old hippie, and uh, I said, well, w- what happens when people flip over? He was telling about the possibilities. I said, how many people die? He said, well, most of the people that die from the cold water when they hit it, it's usually in their 50s. And he said, I've had three or four guys uh, die. And I said, well, I'm in my 40s. What do you think? He said, well, you got a minute. But he said, well, you know, it could happen. And um, he said, just the sheer excitement and hitting that cold water just, you know, puts them in a cardiac arrest in the morning time. But um, there's a lot of adventures out there, but I just ain't for the fast-moving ones anymore. Well, I tell you, I got an I got a personal story. I don't know if I got enough time to tell it. What Back about pipe I, smoking? I mean, you already do that, Roger. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing that. For a long there's, time. there's an element of danger. You could set fire right. to your thumb. <laughs> That's right. But you know, we can <laughs> we <laughs> consider, we can ponder things. We'd look good with pipes. They need to come back and pocket watches, all that kind of stuff. And well, we have was, to sort of um and ah and ponder you, and stroke our I, little uh, ears. I got Did you yeah. notice? Did you notice all? I the got guys? a smoking robe and slippers. I, I got it. I don't have a pipe have yet, you? but I got all. We need a Patrick. We need a picture. This all right? You. It's easy. You say this stuff. People now, can come on here and say whatever they like. Roger needs the picture. Get that picture from him. All right. Paul, Paul, I'll the, get evidence to you did, quickly. Did you notice how many guys in the film had a pipe? Yeah, I, I was. Uh, that's what really knocked me out. Is that it's really great advert for the pipe industry, of course, which has collapsed massively. Nobody yes. does it anymore. So, yeah. pipes and hats. You know, who would have thought milliners and, and the pipe manufacturers thought they were in probably 1910? Here we are, a century later, barely anywhere to be seen, aren't they? Um, pipes. Cigars, As I've cigars, said before, the I thing mean. about a pipe, right, is and somebody bought. I was banging on about pipes years ago. So a guy I used to go camping with families. You know, it's about 10, 12 years ago. He buys me a pipe when we're out there on summer. So I didn't really like the damn thing. But the thing I always thought they were really good for is that if you're in discussion with someone and you've got the pipe, the idea is that you take the wet end out of your mouth. And if you want to make a point and you want to drive it home a bit, you just prod them lightly in the shoulder with the black wet end of the pipe, leaving a series of dotty marks on their shoulder. Now look here, you see, and you just go tap, tap, tap. It's just enough to get the point across, and you leave a permanent mark on their shirt, you see. I always thought it was better for that. You'll make but then I am a bit odd. You'll make a permanent enemy out of that person, too. I just... I. 
What about a mass piping? I always thought about this thing that sort of mass spontaneous <laughs> pipe in. So you want 200 guys all in Trafalgar Square, and at 10 o'clock, everybody just takes a pipe out and just puts it in. The whole play, it, it would be spooky, wouldn't it? So you can see I, I don't get out much. Uh, I got out once. Uh, but that, that's I don't get out much. You've really been, you've really been domesticated. You've been domesticated, Paul. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Hey, look, we have a magazine over here called The Chap, right? Seriously, it's called The Chap, and it's about British chaps, okay? And they they did a thing on Oxford Street about 10 years ago where they all had moustaches and pipes and trilbies. And the uh, I read this article. It said, oh, the shoppers on Oxford Street, which is the main shopping street in London, it said, shoppers on Oxford Street were stunned, bemused, and amazed when there was a massive outbreak of politeness, good manners, and decency <laughs> on Oxford Street. And these guys, all these photographs going out, doffing their trilbies to women, going, good morning, ma'am, and things like that. It was just sort of ridiculous bit of street theater. Fantastic. Stuff. How British. How British. Very silly. Paul, thank oh, you. Yeah. Thank you for spending a couple hours with us. I'll put the uh, link to the uh, They Shall Not Die on the cash box description today. You guys have a good day. I will be back tomorrow. Patrick? Uh, Doug and Katya, thanks for joining us and participating. I'll see y'all again tomorrow, okay? Super. Love you live. Good day. All right. See you, Chicos. Go get a little more organized in the new apartment here. Thanks. Go make the stilled water in here. The delivery man is lost. <laughs> Are we off air? No, we're still on. Oh, I hope not. No, we're still on. We're still on. It makes it more exciting if we say something really (laughs) terrible. And then people can throw it back in our faces later on. It'd be absolutely fantastic. Much more interesting. Well, we're off air now. We are now.